How's everybody doing this morning? Um, I may have injured myself a little bit. I uh, fell off a climbing wall. I get hurt all the time. My wife is just used to that. And, uh, but this time I've got an injury a week before my hiking trip to Wyoming. So I uh, appreciate the prayers uh, this week um, for my wife's patience and my healing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's wild. So if, if I'm going to be seated for a little bit, it's just because I've got an ankle issue that's going on. If I start preaching and walking, it means the Holy Spirit and adrenaline has kicked in. And I will feel it later. So I've literally got it wrapped up like I'm playing football. So um, if you have your Bibles, go to, um, where am I going to? Medication. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And uh, we're going to dive into the next question that Jesus asks. In fact, it's such a simple question. Uh, the question is just, what is your name? What is your name? Um, I don't know if you know a lot about your own name, about the meaning of names. Um, every once in a while I'll come across particular or peculiar names. I was reading an article out of uh, the Washington Post, and it was uh, dated all the way back to... I think it was January the 29th, 2003. And so it talks about the story of this Olympian, this Olympian's name. It's a skier. Her name is Peekaboo Street. And the article is called Peekaboo's Problems. And so Peekaboo uh, was a medalist, uh, Olympian medalist. But what is very phenomenal about this woman is in the midst of all of the training, all of the travel, all of the competitions that it takes to be an Olympian, um, especially a medal-winning Olympian, is there's, she did all of this education and got her nursing degree while doing all of the skiing stuff. That's impressive. Nursing degree alone is impressive on top of doing all of this Olympian-style training. And so uh, it, the story says that she ended up being placed into the, uh, into the ICU, in the intensive care unit. And there in the ICU, uh, she, you know, she was doing some fantastic work. But at one point, the head nurse had to take her off of the phones because of her answering the phones in the ICU. Because when people would call, she would say in the most professional voice, peekaboo, ICU. <laughs> it's not a dad joke. It's literally a real thing. I did not make this up. But I promise you, you're going to tell that story to somebody today. You're going to send that out to somebody. Oh, my word. Like, imagine, like, when we do baby dedication, it's one of my favorite things. We've got that coming up in September. Um, imagine, like, looking up the name Peekaboo, because when we do, we look up their names, and we speak prophetically over these children. I mean, Peekaboo means God reveals. I don't know what it means. Um, it'd be kind of fun to look that up, but uh, do you know the meaning of your name? Like in our family, um, Cameron, our, our daughter, her name means righteous and noble. And that's ex literally, that's who she is. That she is, she's noble. She is righteous in everything that she does. Uh, our son's name is Ethan, which means to stand strong, to be firm. And he's going into law enforcement, and it just makes sense. Um, Joshua, who's coming to our family, his name means God is my salvation, and we see salvation over his life. Uh, we see him leading people to salvation for the entirety of his life. Uh, then we've got Claire who's come in, and her name means shining or, or bright one. Uh, it also says light bright, but if I would have said that, you all would have went towards some toy that exists, I think, from the 80s till now. 
Um, the name Anne means grace or grace-filled. And how can you not talk to my wife and not see that she is full of grace? And then my name means blessed, which means that Anne is blessed to be married to me. <laughs> yeah, she's blessed to be married to me. Um, I love talking about names because biblically, biblically people took on the name that they were given. They took on that name. There was something that appeared in their life that they began to take on and live out whatever their name was given. Uh, one of my favorite gospel movies of all time, Dances with Wolves. If you've never seen it before, they see him chasing a wolf, and so they name him the one who dances with because that's what he does. And oftentimes, read the scriptures, you will see when someone's given a name, they're given a moniker, that immediately, it's like they have to follow that. And many times, that's why we see a changeover in names or in directions of their lives. Because when God comes in, he brings about transformation. And he wants to really take our lives and reorder our lives to follow after him. And why is this important? Because of the man that we're about to talk about today who had to answer the question from Jesus, what is your name? And so the context of, of our scripture today, should have put that closer, is Luke chapter 8. We've got this situation where the disciples are with Jesus and they get into a boat and they're going across the Sea of Galilee. I hope in a couple years that you take um, a trip to Israel with me. I would love to take every single one of you because one of the best spots in the entire trip is the Sea of Galilee. 75% of the Gospels were done here on the sea or around the sea. Not Jerusalem, but on the Sea of Galilee. It is spectacular. And it's not even a sea, so it's, it's kind of lying to you already. It's, it's just, it's not a sea, it's a lake. Now, it's not as big as the Great Lakes. We're talking, it's like, you know, four miles by four miles, four miles by five miles, give, it, give or take. And Jesus is sailing with the disciples across, and they're going from Capernaum over to Galilee, and a storm hits and steers them into a different direction. And so because of the storm, they land on the shore of an area called the Gerizines, or what's also known as Decapolis. Decapolis is a Greek area of heavy Greek influence. Um, so in those days, they would have thought, okay, it's a heavy Greek pagan influence, and, but it was underneath Roman rule. So it says here in verse number 26, when they sailed to the country of the Gerizines, which is opposite of Galilee, and Jesus stepped out on land, and there met him a man from the city who had demons for a long time, had worn no clothes, and had not lived in a house but amongst the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down upon uh, to him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. We're going to stop right there. Some of you have more faith than I do. And if you would have got out of that boat and saw a naked man running towards you, you would have just stand, stood strong in your faith. Me, personally, I may have wet myself. I would freak out. Naked man running toward me, like, boys, get back in the boat, get back in the boat, get back in the boat, we're out of here. And this man comes running, but it gives us a very particular situation that is about, that is happening within his life. He is full of demons. We have got massive satanic activity that's happening in his life. And now when it comes to the church world, it seems to me that we can fall in one of two camps when it comes to demons or demonic activity or Satan or satanic activity. And I think 
C.S. Lewis really spells this out well when he talks about the two camps. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or magician with the same delight. What he's saying is like, listen, one side is to disbelieve their existence. The other side is to get fixated upon them. I have met them in the church. People are like, oh, the devil is more of a concept. He's not a person. And demons, they're not really, there's no really demons around. It's more just evil around. And they just disregard that which we see, I believe, spelled out in Scripture. Or they swing to the other side. And there are people that I swear are more fixated with what the devil is up to than what God is up to. And so what ends up happening is we have people that look under every rock, they shake every bush around, they're trying to find what is the devil up to. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to look to see what the devil is up to. We know what he's up to. And our job as believers, let me give a word for somebody this morning. Our job as believers is to not to go and to look for what the devil is up to. Our job is to proclaim the kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ. That's the job. That's the mode. You know what? Well, pastor, we, we can't forget about the devil. I tell you this. I can't forget about the devil. He's always at work around me. But if he is my focus, we have missed out on the salvation that God has given us. Because the scripture says, greater is he who is within us than he who is within the world. So I can see what, the, what, what is happening in the world. But I also lift up my eyes and say, I don't get consumed. Because Jesus has come and he's here right now. Let us be a people that don't derive our Christian identity based upon playing defense to what the devil has done. I'm sick of defense-style Christianity. Let's be a people that take a stand in the name of the Lord, that walk in the authority of the Lord, that operate in the identity of being followers of Jesus Christ. Because if you really study the scriptures, you're going to see that Jesus did not go looking for demons. He did not get out of the boat and say, is there a naked man around here with demons? Who goes looking for demons? Some of you are like, I do. I'm one of those. Well, we're going to pray for you today. He didn't go looking for demons. They went looking for him, and they shrieked with terror at the authority that he had. It's up to us to proclaim the kingdom. Verse 27, this man, my heart breaks as I read this. It says, for a long time, he had worn no clothes. He had lived amongst the house, among the tombs. And it says specifically, yeah, he, was, he had plural demons. The in, uh, New Living Translation says he was possessed by demons. I like the message paraphrase. He was a victim of demons. In other words, darkness has gripped his life and darkness will not let go. If you're a note taker and you have interest in these things, every once in a while I get contacts from people that will ask me about demonic activities or demons or they want to talk about demonology or angelology or things like that. Um, demonic activity really wants to do one, one of three things, if not all three things in your life. And this is a good thing to write down in terms of notes. Is number one, demonic activity wants to overshadow your identity. It wants to convince you that God doesn't love you, God doesn't desire you, that you can't follow God, you're too broken, you're too bruised, you got too much of a past, too many addictions, too much hate, too much this, too much that. It wants to overshadow your identity in Jesus Christ. Number two, it wants to dominate your thoughts. 
It wants to consume your brain that all you can do is fixate on the darkness. Fixate on what's wrong. Fixate on what's broken. Fixate on what you can't do. Fixate on what your sin has done. Fixate upon your past. And then lastly, see the growth here? It gets into the place where it controls your life. It wants to overshadow, dominate, and control. Look at the crescendo that's there. Listen, when evil comes in your life, the reason why 1 John says, in the beginning, 1 John chapter 1 says, I have written to you, this to you so that you do not sin. How many of you believe it's good not to sin? i got to be a better preacher in this place. <laughs> I thought we'd have a big amen, like 30% of you, the rest of you are like, it's not so bad. <laughs> Why don't we mess with darkness? Why don't we mess with sin? Because sin wants to overshadow you and wants to dominate you with the, with the idea of controlling you because everything Satan offers always delivers bondage. Satan doesn't deliver something to you in order to make you feel a little bit better. He doesn't want to make you feel better. He wants you in bondage. And whatever Satan offers, it's to bind your life. Whatever he wants to bring to your marriage, it's to split your marriage apart. Nothing the devil does is in order to bless your life with what he offered to Adam and Eve. He, he shaped it like it was a blessing, but he ended up getting them separated. This is what Satan does. And I've heard this message preached about, listen, I've grown up in the church. I think I came out of the womb and went right in the church. I've grown up hearing about the story for eons. This story is actually shared in three different gospels. And when you read this story, and I've heard this taught on, I've heard this preaching, I've heard pastors and evangelists, I've heard them sit on different things because they're trying to pinpoint what is it that got him demon-possessed. I bet you he touched a Ouija board. He touched the Ouija board and demons came right out of it and filled him. Okay, I bet you he listened to that ungodly music like ACDC. I'm really dating myself right now. He listened to Black Sabbath, or worse, he listened to country music and it filled him with demons. <laughs> I'm going to get some hate mail after that one. He, he did this, and it allowed demons. He watched Netflix, he got a demon. That one click on the internet, and then the internet's filled him with all sorts of darkness. I think we are so busy trying to find those one or two things. Do you know why we want to do it? Just so we can avoid those things and keep doing the things that we're doing. But I'm here to say, but when demon, this type of darkness comes on in, it's not because of a one-time moment. I believe it's because we've given constant access. We want to believe it's a one moment, and we want to avoid that one moment. But listen, it's not about avoiding moments. It's about living for Jesus. It's about following Jesus, and not just We'll give them these moments, and then the darkness gets these moments. But if you want the type of darkness that we're talking about in your life, it's not about touching a Ouija board. It's about opening up your life to darkness and giving constant access inside your life. So the question is, how do we give things access? Because we can give good access, we can give bad access. How do we give access? There's two things that I want you to write down in your notes today. Number one, write down the word influence. Influence gives access. Influence gives access. Now often I, I, I'll get, and it's not like every week, maybe once every couple months, I get somebody that will call me that will be uh, nervous that they can get possessed by demons as a Christ follower. Let me say this. There is a difference between demon possession and demon oppression. Big difference. I do not believe ever that a Christ follower could be demon possessed. Only one master can be a part of in this house. 
But a Christian can be demonically oppressed. Has anybody ever been oppressed in the house today? Bunch of people over here, and everyone has never been oppressed over there, so we need to hang out together. Oppress you a little bit more on this side. But we have possession that takes place when Jesus is not at the center. I've had people say, well, I don't believe in that. Listen, as long as I've been in life, in ministry, I'm telling you what, I have seen things that I, the only way that I can explain what I've seen, what I've heard out of people's mouths, the sounds, the strength, that can only be explained by the power of darkness overwhelming somebody's life. I have seen it and I have experienced it um, in ministry and just being a pastor's kid growing up in church. And at the same time, that if you're following Jesus, I'm just going to tell you that just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean the devil's like, I missed that one. I'm just going to move on. Now you're a target, and the enemy's going to want to oppress you. He's going to want to come in and begin to try to do what? Overshadow your identity. Jesus doesn't really love you. You're not a good follower of Jesus. You're not a good Christian. Do those people at church really want you there? He'll try to dominate your thoughts and begin to twist them around. Are you truly forgiven? Are you truly set free in order to try to control your life? You're going to hear the voices of the enemy everywhere you want to go. But I give you a word this morning that says this, that every voice in your life does not deserve the same place of influence. Not every voice in your life deserves the same place of influence. Some of you today, you're going to walk away feeling like God gave you a good word. And then you're going to log on social media, and they're going to give you their word. Then you'll click on to a news outlet. They'll give you another word about whatever. And we've got a lot of words and a lot of voices that are going on. And I think sometimes we lose our identity and we lose our focus. We lose our joy because we've given every voice in our life the same place of influence. And I'm here to say we've got to begin to pull back and begin to realize that if we want to have constant access in our life to the Lord, we've got to learn what we need to lift up our ears to and what we need to close our ears to. And if you want to know good influences in your life, let me give you a good rubric to help you understand if something is a good voice in your life. Here's three things. Number one, does it line up with the character of Jesus? That voice that's coming in your life, if you want to know if it's a healthy influence, does it line up with the character of Jesus? Number two, does it line up with Scripture? That's how I understand Scripture. I look through the lens of Jesus. And number three, does it line up with what God has called you to? I've had some people come in my life that want me to line up with what, God, what they think God has called me to. Pastor, I've given you a word that you need to take the direction of this church. I'm like, all right, give me the word. But I, I need to line that up with what God is speaking to me at the same time. Man, I had somebody call me up that's like, listen, I'm, I want to organize all these churches. I'm going to start with you with that at, you need to get everyone to the church at 8 o'clock in the morning, this coming Sunday, and then march them out to the flagpole, have them stand around the flag right at 810. I'm like, I, I, that's not a word that I'm, that I'm feeling right now. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm pretty positive. He says, well, you're the first pastor. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to tell you. Any pastor that just acts a response to that without hearing for themselves is missing out on something. Why? Because we have to learn how to hear from the Lord for ourselves. I'm thankful for people willing to speak into me. I'm thankful for people willing to take chances and to be delivered what they feel is God's word. But at the same time, we can't be so dependent upon everyone else's voice that we negate to learn to attune our own ears to who Jesus is. We need to learn the voice of the Lord in our life, and we know it's the voice when it matches the character of Jesus, it lines up with Scripture, and it also lines up with that which God has called us to. 
Watch the voices that speak into your life. Case in point, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, you've got a young boy named David. David shows up to the front lines to deliver food to his brothers. I love that. He just brings food, and he hears one voice screaming out and taunting the armies of Israel. And it's a voice of one man, and he's a giant of a man. And the army is coward because they forgot whose army they were. They forgot their stories of old and what God has done. But you know who didn't forget? A teenage boy. And he walked up and he's like, who is this idiot? That's the Dave translation. Who is this guy that he would defy the armies of the living God? David walks up and he's like, let me take care of this. And he walks up to this Philistine and immediately the Philistine starts saying, listen, you're coming at me at sticks and stones. You think I'm a dog? And immediately he tries to give influence. He tries to get access into David's heart. But David looks at him and he begins to remember, God delivered me from a bear. God delivered me from a lion. You know what, bro? You're going to be the thing that God delivers into my hand in this moment. God, give us peace that will heed the voice of the Lord and shut out the voices of everything contrary to what God is speaking. Then you go to Numbers chapter 13. Oh, Numbers 13, you have 12 spies sent out into the wilderness. They're sent out into this land that God had promised. Who promised? God promised. So you would think that would give context to whatever they're going to see, but 10 of the 12 came back and they reported to Moses, we can't do it. We saw giants. We saw fortified cities. We're like grasshoppers in this land. This land will devour us. But there was two, Joshua and Caleb. They knew the voice of God. And they knew the God that sent them would be the God that would equip them, would be the God that would enable them, and the God that would deliver them and chose to say, we can go and we can be bold and we can be strong and surely we can take the land. Give us people that will respond to the voice of God. Look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is in the wilderness. He has been fasting for 40 days. He, and I'll tell you this. At your weakest point will be the place where the devil's voice gets loudest. Fasting for 40 days. The voice of the enemy is there. If you bow down, if you jump from the temple, if you, if you, if you, he is just literally oppressing the son of God. And over and over and over, has not God said this? God, let the church rise up, not to report this is what the news says, but to give the news, this is what the gospel says. If you want to be somebody who walks in influence, you got to make sure that we've got the proper influence into our lives. You want to make sure you're guarding the access. Guard what is influencing you. I'm not against watching news. I'm not against being on social media. I'm not against having friends. But we also have to remember what we're allowing to influence our hearts. Which leads us to number two. What creates access? Write down the word permission. Permission. Not only do we have voices of influence, often we can give Permission. One of, the, one of my favorite books to read through, I read through at least once a year, is technically the oldest book in the entire Bible. It was written before the book of Genesis was written, and it's the book of, anybody know? Somebody gets a Pop-Tart. Book of Job. Book of Job, the narrative starts out where Satan is standing before God, and, and God says, I feel like God is literally setting Satan up. What an idiot. Satan has no idea that God's leading him on. He's like, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan's like, you just keep protecting him. You don't let anything bad happen to him. And God goes, okay, I'll take my hand off of his health. And Job starts going through health struggles. 
health challenges. And Job would not turn his back upon God. And so he's like, it's because you're protecting the family. So he took his hands off the family, and all of a sudden travesty is hitting Job's life. And listen to this. Satan had permission to attack Job's life, but get this. He didn't have permission to run Job's life. Some of us, we have given permission to our circumstances to run our lives. Selah. We've given permission for travesty to run our lives, for brokenness to run our lives, for other voices to not just speak into our lives, but begin to run our lives. See, the challenge is not what happens to you. The challenge in our life is what's happening within us. And we have to recognize where the devil is working and learn how to shut the door. Why? Because Satan wants to overshadow, he wants to dominate, and he wants to control our lives. Why is this so significant? Because of what we see in this man. Because this man, we can look and say, man, look how bad it happened to him. That this man could be me and you. Underneath so much oppression. Well, this man specifically in possession. And just breaking underneath darkness. And we need somebody to come in and set us free. Look what this man says. Verse 28. I think this is so huge. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. And he said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I beg you, do not torment me. All right, this, this one gets me emotional. I was just writing on this whole passage about two weeks ago. Because of something that I noticed in this passage, and this story, from the perspective of Mark's gospel. Could you go to Mark chapter 5, verse 5 on the screen? It says, night and day among the tombs, in the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. This is a detail that the gospel writer in Luke does not give us. Mark gives us. I noticed this years ago and got this revelation that he, this guy, because some people are like, he's cutting himself as a worship toward a pagan idol, but I promise you it wasn't that at all. He was cutting himself to feel human. I have ministered to so many teenagers throughout 25 years of ministry that were cutting themselves, burning themselves. And why do, why do people cut themselves? I've known adults to deal with this. I've known athletes that cut themselves, but they cut themselves more up here so they don't show on their arms. Why do people do that? Because there are times that they're so broken and emotionally distraught, so much oppression, that they just want to feel human once. And this guy is in the tombs cutting himself, not trying to commit suicide, not trying to destroy the body. I think this was the human side that simply said, I just want a few human for once this day. Go back to the last scripture. Luke, it says this. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I beg you, do not torment me. And I noticed something, and I could be off the, my rocker here. But this guy that has all these demons that are trying to run his life, at the same time, he's trying to, this humanity shows up in Mark 5. And I ask myself, do we have two statements going on here? Is the demon crying out, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? And after that, do we have the human side saying, I beg you, don't torment me anymore like I am right now. Are there two statements? I think there may be two statements. And so I can't read this passage without just my heart shattering because there's so many people that they're acting out of their pain, but if you truly listen to the human side, you would hear them. Whatever you're offering me, are you going to hurt me any more than what life has already handed to me? 
I think this is so important. Verse 29 says this. For he had commanded, Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it seized them and kept them under guard. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. He would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. And Jesus asked him, here it is, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command and depart to the abyss. And he heard a, uh, saw a large herd of pigs feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let him enter into these. So he gave them permission. Now, two things I want to say here. Is first of all, as much as this seems like it's chaos, at zero points was Jesus never not in control. For a word for somebody in the house today, as out of control as you think life is, I want you to know there is one that holds everything in his hands. Why do we hold on to Jesus? Because when life is out of our control, we can hold on to the one that is in control. I just can't get control of the situation. You know what? Stop, maybe stop trying to get as much control of the situation as you need to just grab a hold of Jesus. And then verse 33, we see that he cast these demons into these pigs. And now it's, it may seem a waste of bacon in your eyes, but in Decapolis, these pigs were actually used for idol worship. The pigs were herded to be utilized to sacrifice the pagan gods. And so there's more than just, Je Jesus wasn't just getting rid of, a, of, of an unkosher product. Jesus was making a statement that there are little G gods and there is one capital G God. One alone. Verse 34. The herdsmen saw what had happened. They fled, told the city and the country, and the people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus, found the man with whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Yeah, now you got to understand, like, we all think that they just rushed and grabbed them. This would have taken a little bit of time. Run all the way back to the city, tell the city, gather the entire crowd to come and see, and they begin, and, and they begin to talk with this man, and they see that he's in his right mind. Now look at this, because I think this is a huge detail. They saw him, number one, sitting... That's a big deal. Number two, clothed. And then number three, in his right mind. I want you to see that progression. He is clothed, excuse me, he is sitting, which what does sitting mean? It is, there's peace in his spirit. He is clothed, rever, reverting to the dignity of his life, his body. Spirit, body, then lastly, he's in his right mind. He's been restored, and he has, been, he has a renewed soul. That when God sets you free, he will restore you spirit, body, soul. He saves you, not on the surface. He doesn't just clean us. He redeems us from the inside out. So if you need to be delivered, you need healing, you need freedom. Man, Jesus has not come just to give a, a bedazzlement to your life so you walk out feeling a little bit better. He will deliver you spirit, body, and soul. To give this man a new identity, this man says, my name is Legion. Legion was a Roman term for, for thousands of soldiers. This guy had thousands of demons, but in one moment, Jesus sets him free. I wrote it this way. Your identity is only as deep as what it's founded in. Live in the lordship of Jesus. 
This is Guy's identity. His name was Legion because it was as deep as thousands of demons. But all of a sudden when the people showed up, he wasn't Legion any longer. He had a new name. He had a new purpose. And that purpose was no longer found in thousands of bits of darkness. It was found in the depths and the ocean that is known as the grace of Jesus Christ. And just by introducing Jesus, this man can now see life differently. Has Jesus caused you to see life differently? Has Jesus caused you to see freedom differently? I want to show you a video. I'm just known for sitting up at night watching videos, trying to get my mind to calm down so I can go to sleep. And every once in a while I get in videos that just make me cry. And I don't, why I do that to myself, I do not know. But if you've never heard of enchroma glasses, enchroma glasses is something that's been uh, invented for those who are colorblind. And there's some people in their life, they have never ever seen color in their life. And so I wanna show you a video of a bride presenting to her groom on, her, on their wedding day in chroma glasses. So would you take a look at this? Turn it up. No. Yeah. <laughs> They're so expensive. Put them on. You're kidding. Put them on. <laughs> Are you serious? You guys can see this every day. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you guys understand, but. I didn't know. <laughs> the grass look green? <laughs> yeah. It's unreal. Stop making me cry. <laughs> but it's it's color like I don't nobody understands how I'll have to relearn my colors with the glasses. <laughs> yeah, what color you actually think? This is violet or purple, this is blue. I'm gonna say this is rose okay. red or pink, Pinky. white and violet on the end. Oh nice! <laughs> Yeah. You like? I can see colors. <laughs> All right, we're going to have to stop that or else I'm not going to be able to preach the rest of the message here. Do you hear what he said? Is this what you see all the time? Ladies and gentlemen, we've got the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. It's not our jobs to come and meet just simply on Sundays, but our job is to go out and look for men like this that have been plagued by darkness because they deserve to see what we get to see all the time. And there's something about delivering somebody the grace of God that can put on the glasses and begin to see this is what life could look like. This is what life could be like. I mean, these people were so freaked out. Look at verse 36. Those who had seen it told them about the demon-possessed man, and he had been healed. And all the people from the surrounding country, from the Gerasenes, asked him to depart, saying, Jesus, go away, because they were seized with great fear until Jesus got in the boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with them, and Jesus sent them away, saying, return, return, declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming. And historians tell us, commentators tell us, that this man delivered the gospel to the rest of the region, so much that in the book of Mark 2, chapters later when Jesus returns the people don't send him away they say please stay why we need the glasses we need to see life 
The freedom that we see in him, that's what we need. We need it. Jesus gives us hope. He gives us future. And he gives us the ability to say the demonic activity must stop right now. Not because Jesus wants it, but he commands it right now. I want to illustrate this for you because I think this could be some of you in the house today. Can I illustrate this for you? Can we bring the, the lights down a little bit here? If this could be any one of you. Just sitting in the spotlight of God's presence, God's mercy, and God's grace. But there are voices that we all hear. And whether you're serving Jesus or not, just because you've served Jesus, it doesn't negate there will be an enemy's voice that wants to speak into you. You're not really saved. You're not really healed. You're not really delivered. You're not really loved. You're not as good as somebody else. The marriage will never make it. You'll never find somebody. You'll never be able to forget. You'll never be able to recover. There are voices that want to oppress, that live in the darkness. And what we've got to understand is we can't, is we can't stop the voices from coming. But what we can do is begin to listen to the voice of the one that constantly says, I will love you regardless of what the other voice says. Follow my voice to the light. Follow my voice to freedom. There is passion in your life. There is future. There is dreams. There is life beyond the depression. There is healing beyond the brokenness. That there's a way to live beyond the death that's happened in, in, in your life. There is hope that is ahead of you. There is faith that you haven't tapped in. There are gifts that are in your life. There is callings upon your life. But over here, we still got this. And I know it makes it look like the good angel and the bad angel. But this is what we as Christians and people live. Is we hear voices whispering bring us in the darkness. But some of us need to just remember that there is one that didn't just die upon a cross, but he rose again, and he still stands with us. And when we are in a broken place, the psalmist says, he is near me in the broken place, still whispering, I love you. I am with you. I'll never leave you. I will empower you. I know you're going through struggles, but I won't let you go through it alone. I'm here. I'm going to give you vision to see colors in your life you've never seen before. But keep hating. Keep forgiving. You're always going to struggle. There's a time frame to it. And I'm going to cause it to end. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to destroy everything. You're going to destroy everything that, I, that God has wanted to build. You don't have to build anything. I will build it through you. Can I have my keyboards join me? Because I just feel like the Spirit of God is in this place and He's wanting. He's wanting to do some miracles today. I believe he's wanting to set some people free today. 
And today's going to be a little bit different. Before I have had you kind of walk down and get out of your seats and just come down to the front, we're going to do something a tad different today because, um, because of just how I've kind of designed the end of this service. So if my prayer team could just get themselves to come forward, we're going to get ourselves set up to wrap the service up here. But today is going to be a day where I'm going to ask you to push past some pride and to push past the voice of darkness that says, just stay seated. Don't stand up. What are people going to think? They'll never want to sit back next to you again. Your friends aren't going to want to come back to church with you anymore. I don't want you to listen to the voice. What I see in the gospel here, we can get centered on the dark side of it all. What access did this guy give? I choose to look at the Savior who set him free. I choose to look at the one that brought light in the middle of the darkness. And at the voice of the Lord, imagine the thousands of voices that were going on in his noggin, leading him to live the way that he was living. Thousands of voices, but one voice, one voice of the Savior of the world comes in. His body, soul, and spirit healed. And so here's my plea to you today. I'm not asking, please, if in a second, when I ask some people to stand, I'm not asking that if you're demonically possessed, would you stand up? That's not, 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 not where I'm going, please. But this morning, I'm going to ask you to really own maybe a challenge that you're going on in your life. Maybe you're here today, and this is how God has kind of led me. If today you've been just feeling a bit oppressed by darkness, Maybe the enemy has been whispering things, discouragement in your ear. Things that have been discouraging you about your marriage or your life, about the, your future, your calling. Maybe you've just been uh, just underneath this barrage of discouragement and just demonic attack. Listen, in a second when I ask you to stand, it is not saying that you are marked as being this man here. But I don't want to let you walk away from here feeling like you've got to do this thing alone. The enemy works in isolation. God works in community. I've said that for 13 years and we'll say that for the next 13 years. Don't do this alone. But what we're going to do in a second is we're going to have a few, it might be one person, it might be a few people, it might be dozens, I don't know. But in a second, I'm going to have you stand. And the prayer team is going to move forward and they're just going to simply anoint you really quick in the name of Jesus. In this, in this house, we believe in the anointing of oil. The oil isn't anything special. Half the time, it's cooking oil. It's uh, olive oil. It's something very simple. And it's not the oil that's significant. It's what the oil represents. Because in Old Testament times, is they would take ordinary things, they would anoint it, and immediately it was deemed, this is holy. To be used by God. And they're just going to go and anoint, and I'm going to do one simple prayer over everyone that's standing. And if you're not standing in the house today, if you're not standing in the house, then I'm going to ask you to be a prayer warrior from your seats. So if you're here today and you've been going through some oppression, just some darkness attacking you, darkness whispering into your ear, the prayer team is going to go, they're going to anoint, and they're going to hand you a, 
it's not a pamphlet. It looks like a little bookmark, and it's all these scriptures about your identity in Christ. We want to not just pray for you, but we're going to equip you today to know what God says about you. But if you're here and you need prayer, you need prayer today. Some oppression. The darkness has been whispering, I have been there. If that's you, would you stand to your feet right where you're at? Maybe whispers about your marriage, whispers about your health, whispers, whispers about your singleness, whispers about your family. I don't know what it is, but you're just done being victimized by the darkness. Oh, I love this. I love the faith I see in this room because when we respond physically to something happening internally, it does something to our faith. Now, would you do me a favor? Would you just step out into the aisle? Worship, or, uh, prayer team, would you just begin to move out? And just begin to anoint and pray. Just simple prayers. They're going to just quickly pray. And if you're sitting in your seats, when you see these around them, would you just pray right where you're at? Come on, would, just fill this place with prayer. We anoint in the name of Jesus. We anoint in the name of Jesus. We take a stand against darkness in the name of Jesus. We begin to bring hope in the name of Jesus. We speak the name Yeshua. That name, it comes from the name Joshua. It's Jesus. God saves. God saves. And so, Lord, right now, we just anoint. We speak hope where there seemed to be no hope. We speak life in the place of discouragement and challenge. Lord, where they maybe have been looking at the world into this, I hope it's not incentive, this almost this, this world that is colorless without faith because of the words that have been coming into their ear. But Lord, we lift up our ear to your voice. God, you give us new eyes to see the world in the colors that you have placed. With faith to see things that normal eyes cannot see. Where we may see in the earthly a broken marriage through the eyes of faith. We see a marriage that can be made whole in Jesus' name. God, where hopelessness paints one picture, God, I pray that right now that faith would just begin to anoint those eyes, begin to see by faith, God, Lord, hope that it has got no end to it. God, where diagnosis have said one thing, God, I pray that hope, that, that the healing be, begin to rise up in people's bodies, in people's, in people's lives, that you would fill them with, with faith to begin to believe for, Lord, that which only you can do, oh God. God, where there are situations for which, it, yes, it is impossible with man, but we recognize according to your scripture, with God, all things are possible to those that believe. And today, God, they're standing and they're saying, we believe. We believe. If you're standing to this morning, would you say that to the Lord? I believe. I trust you. Lord, we believe today. We believe. And Lord, we anoint these lives this morning with oil that seems so ordinary, but Lord, in the spiritual, it is extraordinary. And these vessels are your vessels. These are your children, your sons, your daughters, set apart for your work, O oh God. And so, Lord, we give the enemy no more influence, 
We give him no voice of, of permission, God. We say we are children of yours, called by you, saved, redeemed, set free to move in the direction and the calling for which you've given us. We are yours. So, Lord, when people ask us, what is your name? God, we don't have to give our name thinking about the past, the rubble, the junk that maybe we've inherited, that we've been given, things that we've caused by our own hand. But Lord, we get to say our name with confidence, knowing that we are new creatures in Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. We get to say our name knowing that we are forgiven, that we are grace-filled, that we are cared for, we are loved for. We, are, we have been given hope that meets us today, that carries us through to eternity, God. That we can stand like this man in Mark chapter 8, and we can not just stand strong in you, God, but we can be healed from the inside out and to go back to our homes, back to our villages, back to our cities, and we can proclaim the one that called us out of darkness into marvelous lights. We thank you for your healing work, for your healing power, for the way you work and restore and guide us. Even when oppression has one word, we celebrate that we serve one that has a greater word to speak over us. We are loved. We are saved. We are redeemed. We live in that. We walk in it. We celebrate that. And we speak that all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, can we give God a hand clap of praise for what he's doing in the house today?